Hey everyone, one of my favorite parts of this new season of Making Ways was speaking with artists and bands about the creative collaboration process. Interviews with Sad13, Shamir, Not a Surf, Rara Riot, Deaf Heaven, and artists Michael DeForge, Faye Orlove, Steve Smith, Melissa Unger, Christopher Everhart, and Nick Steinhardt. Those are just a handful of the amazing creative folks we spoke to on this season of Making Ways. The Art of Music. I thought it would be fun to look back in a bit of a bonus mini episode at some of the stories of creative collaboration that came out of our conversations over these recent episodes. In this episode, you'll hear about creative collaboration from Laura Lee of the amazing band Krungbin and their designer Nate Utesh, Rara Riot's Matthew Santos, and the band's longtime creative partner, designer Christopher Everhart and Anais Mitchell, Tony Award winner for her play Town, one-third of the Grammy-nominated folk supergroup Bonnie Light Horseman, alongside the amazing poster and music designer Aaron Denton. Each of these duos has incredible experiences to share when it comes to creative collaborations, stories that will pull the curtain back on the art of music, and also give you some tips on ways that you can build out your own successful creative collaborations too. I'm excited for you all to hear it, and don't forget, you can get the full episodes for these conversations for free by subscribing to Making Ways wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. I also just want to take a moment to thank you all so much for listening. There's a ton of work that goes into this show, booking guests, research, software and equipment bills for recording, scripting, editing, all original artwork. And this is an indie podcast, so all of that work is handled by a very small crew. I'm doing most of it, and a giant thanks to our amazing audio engineer and editor, Brian Paik at Pacific Audio. I also have to shout out my friend Josh Roth, who has been incredibly supportive of the show and helped connect us with some amazing artists and bands throughout this season. So if you've been listening and enjoying the show, it would mean the world if you dropped us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews we get on Apple Podcasts, the more people will discover the show through the algorithms on the Apple Podcasts platform, which is a massive platform for people to discover the podcasts that they listen to. And in the weeks ahead, I'm going to be rolling out more ways that you can support the show with monetary tips, a new Patreon group, and show posters that are going to be for sale too. If you love these stories of music and art and you want to hear more of them, then please support the show. You can review, donate, and share the show with a friend. Thanks again for listening and supporting Making Ways. Now, let's get into the episode. When Laura Lee of Krungbin joined the show with designer and art director Nate Utesh, who did the band's latest album, Mordecai, we got talking about this idea of ownership and the importance of supporting roles on a team. And we talked about art collaboration and the collaboration that happens within the band. Let's listen in. And remember, you can hear this full episode on Making Ways, too. I mean, really, if I think back, I mean, maybe this is like every, like, preteen with drums and a guitar but like all I wanted to do was play music 
And art was just like this afterthought because my mom is a commercial artist. So I had Photoshop in the house. So when it was time to make an album cover, it's like, yeah, I'll do it. Not because I want to and I'm going to be good at it, just because it's there in front of me. So I'll take care of it, you know? And then all of a sudden I blinked and 20 years went by and I'm making album covers for everyone I know and getting really good at it and working at an advertising agency and everything else. And all of a sudden art was my career. But I've, I've always been in bands. It's just always been this kind of like through line in my life. So not that I know what it's like to be in like a, a huge band, like a career musician, but I still tour. I still, you know, have a smaller scale version of those things. And I've just been around musicians my whole life. So not that I like get it, get it, but it's just interesting to be a musician and to work with musicians. I think at the very least to understand, because it's hard. I mean, I worked at advertising agencies for 13 years before working for Secretly. And even there, there's this thing that like, I'm an artist, I draw or I illustrate or I, I whatever. That means that what I make is my baby, which is so false. Like you're there because you're a commercial artist. You're not painting something for yourself. You have a client. It yeah. is not yours. <laughs> and I feel like I had to learn that first for a decade at an advertising agency. And then all of a sudden to be a musician and to work with musicians and understand that. I mean, not that it's still not hard sometimes, but it's always like, okay, this will never be mine. So if I can twist their arm a little bit because I can flex or be good at one aspect of this, awesome, let's do it. Because I'm still shallow and have an Instagram profile or whatever. But like, at the same time, this is not mine. So like whatever needs to happen so that they are happy should make me happy. And most of the time that is how it works, you know, but I'm yeah. human and it doesn't always end that way. But <laughs> I think to be a musician and know what it's like to work so hard at the end of a record to get ready to start that album cycle and just be so proud of something. I don't know what it's like to inject a third party graphic artist into that because I always do my own junk. So I'm doing that for someone else and I'm having to understand that like I'm inserting myself into someone else's child here. So yeah. like back off, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think that, that that selflessness comes through in your work. I see it in all of oh, your different man. work. Like your hand is there, the design is so skilled and proficient and beautiful and representational of the music, but there's a selflessness there that I'm in service. I'm a servant to this music to this band to conveying this music in the best way wow. possible. That's crazy to hear. I, I appreciate that. And also supportive roles are just as important as right. like a lead role. Right. And it's like it's about the team. And I know mm -hmm. within Krongbin, we're really good about knowing that it's not just about any one of us. And because there's three of us, there's always a natural tiebreaker, which is oh wow nice, you know, within the band. I mean, it's sort of why we ended up doing most of the artwork ourselves or now with like the help of Nate and past projects because we ran into that dilemma of like, wait, who's the artist? Is it our record? And right. so it's us or is it the visual artist baby because they're drawing it? And it's this tricky situation and you don't want to yeah. have that like too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. Right. But you have had, you've run into like some roadblocks in the past, whatever kind of collaboration where it's like, hey, like where are we orienting? Yeah, here? and not even, you know, a little bit in Krungbin, but not even necessarily in Krungbin, just in general. That's a fine line to walk. And I saw it within 
the advertising world when people that worked in advertising would want to do stuff more in like a music or more creative industry, they ran into those roadblocks because it's like, wait, but as the director, my role is this. Mm. But then you're like, but in music, the director is the artist. So it's just tricky to figure out how everybody fits in. I never felt any sort of push-pull with Nate working on this, which made it really easy because you're talking about an album that's so personal and artists are so sensitive. (laughs) So I think you being a musician and an artist probably gives you a level up in that emotional boundary setting. You already get it. You get like the symbiosis, the relationship Mm -hmm. there. What's it like that kind of like ball passing between members of Krungbin, like uh, (laughs) in terms of feedback, ownership, decision-making, like you said, all right, great. We always have like a third vote. You know, you're helping like drive things forward, as you said. How do you balance that? And sometimes it's just the right combination of people, right? Like the Beatles were the Beatles because it was those four people and it worked. Like you change one ingredient, it can change the entire recipe. Totally. We have a good team and we are very well balanced. I am the driver, so to speak. And I think if there was another one, we might move too fast in a way. And Mark's the genius, you know, (laughs) Mark's the genius and DJ is the great foundation and grounder. And we kind of need all of those pieces. But I think part of the way musically that it works is because we each have our own time with each song. So I take that drum loop and I sit by myself and write the bass line. So I have my own time with it. And then when I play it for everyone, then they curate me and say, I like this part. I like this part. And it's like, okay, cool. I'm not going to get attached to those other parts. And if I am, I'll let you guys know and we'll work from there. But everybody has their own time with each song and then we curate each other. And then sometimes what will happen one comment, I think it happens every record, is that Mark thinks a song is too pretty. And DJ and I are like, it's pretty. What's wrong with pretty? That's funny. You know, and so we'll, we'll go down that path. And a lot of times it will end up that we'll record two versions and we'll allow each version to simmer. And we'll come back in a week and say, what do you prefer? And unless somebody is 100% digging their heels in, saying, I do not like this, or this has to go on there, then it will fall back on majority rules. (laughs) I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When Ra Ra Riot's Matthew Santos came on to Making Ways, with the band's longtime creative collaborator, designer Christopher Everhart, Matt talked about how they balance the opinions of all five band members, how they collaborate remotely, and what it's like working on artwork and trying to synthesize all of these different opinions into one singular vision. And Christopher breaks down his initial creative process as well. 
it's always like an evolving thing, you know, and that's another thing I feel fortunate about, you know, mentioning having worked with Chris for so long, having that continuity throughout our career, but also just to be in a band for this long with mostly the same people. Now we've had the same lineup for about seven or eight years. So it's just a really cool thing to be able to get to know these people intimately and be collaborating with them as we all change individually and we all change our dynamic changes as a group. So yeah. So to me, the albums are always related and I listen back to them and they make sense to me being like, Oh yeah, that's what that year was like for us. That's right. why we made that album, you know, that kind of thing. Is the alignment and collaboration amongst all the bandmates similar or different when organizing around the music or agreeing on artwork? How, how is that relationship kind of different? Getting so many voices to agree on something has to be a bit of a challenge at times. There's a good example of this. We did a photo shoot like last year, and I think the, the guy sent us like 3,000 raw photos, and we all had to go through and choose like as many as we liked. We're, like, just pick any picture that you'd be okay with having released, and then we'll compare everyone's groups. And out of that, I think there was like one photo. There's only one photo that all six of us agreed out of like 3,000. So that's kind of what it's like. It's like that for artwork. It's like that for whether or not the snare is too loud in this mix. It's like that for where we're going to go eat dinner tonight, you know. But I think, you know, it's just such a funny dynamic because we're all really close friends, but it's very like familial feeling. It's also like a job too. So we're like coworkers, friends, relatives. And I think over the years now, we've like all learned how to gently coax each other in certain directions or how to handle each other. It's always a very similar kind of process, no matter what we're talking about. Was there, maybe this is awkward with Chris on the line, was there like an album direction at first that you were not bought in on that later you realized was great to go? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I can't, honestly, I'm not just trying to be polite because Chris always is good at delivering stuff we like quickly. I remember, I will say for Beta Love at first, some people in the band were like shocked at how like dark it was. And I think we were like afraid because we were already sort of changing the sound a lot and had like significant lineup changes. So I think people were scared it was like too statementy or too like out of left field or something. And it was funny because for me, that was one of the ones that I think went through the least amount of change from the first sketch to the final product. We had our chat about it, Chris sent over like the first couple of sketches of like this monolithic negative space kind of thing. I just like freaked out. I was like, it's perfect. I was like, that's exactly <laughs> it, you know? But then it was just a lot of like convincing and back and forth. I remember getting that record and holding it. And I love the packaging too. I want to talk about the package design, but holding it and going, this is going to be something different. Just the feel of it, the design, there was a lot of weight in the simplicity. So I liked how that signaled to me as a listener, get ready. Well, that's great to hear too. And again, that just goes back to like how important, almost like almost more important than the music in some ways. It's crazy. But like, yeah, some of my favorite bands of all time, I lucked into discovering because I was at a record store and the cover was so cool. And I was just like, any band that would have this as their cover, I want to listen to. And it's just great to hear that. But yeah, it's really a powerful thing. And it's the first thing that people are going to, when they're reading about the new album, they're going to see a picture of it and already come up with all these ideas based on right. the cover. So yeah, it's just like, it's massively important. And that's part of the reason it's always such a scary decision and process to go through. You think you've already done the hard part, but then it's like, you're just getting started figuring out how to present it to the world. The one that went 
that probably took the longest in terms of like process and revisions was maybe um, Need Your Light. I don't know if that was the same for you on your end, Chris, but, and I think part of it for us too, is we have so many people coming in with different ideas. So it's trying to like, this person thinks it should be more yellow and this person thinks it needs to be less yellow. So fix it, you know? So there was like a lot of that kind of stuff. But that one I think had the most like evolution probably. Yeah, it's a beautiful package, beautiful cover. And I love the contrast with Beta Love. It's just like a different movement. Yeah, that one we knew too. We, it was like, for various reasons, we made a dark record. And then after that, we were like ready to kind of let a little loose again. And so we were like, we were just all into this like bright colors, these like, yeah, the pink and teals and just this like letting go kind of feeling, which is how we got to that one. Chris, I want to hear a little bit about your process. What's happening between those early sketches and final artwork? Are you working by hand? Are you going digital? Do you make prints or photograph? How does your work typically go along? Usually, you know, I, I always like to start with a, like a thumbnail. So I, I like to kind of remove myself from a computer as much as possible because it's too easy for me. And, you know, honestly, like a, just w- working in a with it all the time as part of a day job and being in a, in a graphics world, it's really, you know, helps clear your mind and get your thoughts out first. So that's kind of like my starting point, you know, listen to the music, put some headphones on, kind of just escape a little bit and then start to think about some ideas, you know, then I just dive in. I'm not like a, an illustrator by any means. So I, I have a very photo based visual kind of artist in a lot of ways. So I'll get right into diving into the computer and exploring, um, what it could feel like. And we'll usually start with like a mood board or something, start to formulate some ideas and some themes. And then I'll bounce that back over to the band and we'll get some dialogue going. So specifically with like Beta Love, I remember there was a lot of dialogue with Wes on that one. And it was really cool just kind of diving into this idea of artificial intelligence and what it means to be a a human and all these kind of necromancer, um, cyborg, Neo-Tokyo kind of thoughts and vibes and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool conversations going back and forth on a lot of that stuff. Aeneas Mitchell is the creator of the eight-time Tony Award-winning musical Town, and one-third of the indie folk supergroup Bonnie Light Horseman, with the Fruit Bats' Eric D. Johnson and multi-instrumentalist producer Josh Kaufman. In this clip, we hear about Aeneas' approach to collaboration for the musical, for the band, and we get a glimpse into designer extraordinaire Aaron Denton's creative world. The material would work for me. I could feel proud of it at the level of like poetry, but also it would work for, you know, it would be inspiring for the director to stage. It would be inspiring for the orchestrators to arrange, you know, it'd be, it would be working for at multiple levels. And then there was other times when it was like, I had to choose between what worked for me and what was working for the show, you know, for someone else. But collaboration is like you do get the wind in your sails from other people. I mean, it is you can create things you never could do alone at your desk or whatever. And that feedback and that like mutual inspiration is like very valuable and accountability, you know, to other people. But as far as that kind of like, editing thing goes and the feeling of ownership and the wanting to not overstep in the communication like that's all so tricky and I think certainly I think it's helpful in the theater world when people have like they have their roles so and that the way you speak to someone like the way that I and I'm sure I'm like have been guilty of not doing this but like the way that I 
would feed back to Aaron would be like, it would be great if this would feel more, I don't know, sunny or something. (laughs) And not be like, could you make a brighter color of yellow in this particular (laughs) quadrant of the thing? Because that's Uh his choice and that's his domain and he's the master, you know? And that's for me, like if someone's like, this song needs to do more on behalf of this character's sense of vulnerability. But for someone to say, how about this line, you know? I'd be like, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever the line is, even if it's good, I don't want to hear it. There's something about the detail when they go, when, when, when someone goes into detail, it's very easy to dismiss for me. But when it's super abstract, I love that. I wasn't doing art or design before I started doing it for musicians. And I think it's based on that back and forth. And I love how musicians and other artists dialogue with the visual world because it is a lot unlike art directors in the more sense of like that is a job because musicians are way more abstract. And I just love it because I love the communication of deciphering that and kind of figuring out what that means to me. Right, there's room to play in there versus like an instruction booklet you get back from someone and you're like, well, where where do I fit in in this? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just more challenging, so it's more rewarding. And it also feels like you're both headed the same direction together instead of it being this face-off with another person who's like, well, I did this. As far as collaborations go, that's kind of why I like working with musicians the best because they're not afraid to be vulnerable with like their criticism or reaction to things without it feeling like it's a battle or something like that. It's it, it never, I mean, at least the musicians and bands that I work with, it's never been like that, you know? And it certainly wasn't like that with Bonnie Light Horseman. Yeah. Well, Bonnie Light Horseman was definitely for me, like a, just a release, a total release. And I started working on stuff with Josh when it was a couple of years before we went to Broadway, so we still had a production in Edmonton and then a production in London, and these were like the most stressful times of my life, you know. And it, and is and actually heading into Broadway, I'd never been more stressed out in my life. <laughs> like, I just like barely sleeping, like you know. Was it standing up the production, or was it also the weight of the pressure of like this is Broadway, yeah. like make or break time? Totally. All of the above. And it was like, you know, and also I think for me, just the weight of having lived with it for so long, worked on it for so long and, and it being like, here's the end game, you know, this is whatever it is. It's frozen in time. I remember an interview you did, I was listening to where you were like working on the the lyrics, I think up until the very last moment before it was like lock, lock, lock. Yeah. And there's something fun about that. And it's a whole machine. I mean, there's like, there is a very clear sense of like the deadlines and the hierarchy of like, here, you have to get this song done to give it to the copyist who's going to like transcribe it and then give it to the music director who's going to then teach it to the actors. (laughs) And there's this like 10 minutes it's going to get taught in a rehearsal and then there's a preview that night. And it's sort of awe-inspiring that that world even exists and works at all. Like the Broadway world, just so many people, these whole villages, like ecosystems of people that have to get along and make a show together. It's really incredible. But for me, yeah, it just was like such a relief to play some music that I didn't have all that anxiety around. And a lot of the songs are in open tuning, in open D on the guitar. And I had never really explored that until I started working with Josh. And then like all of the Bonnie Light stuff is open tuning. And we're basically like, you can 
You could just let go. You could smoke a cigarette with your left hand and you still would be playing the song because it's so simple. And there was a moment where like, I would have to go back to regular standard tuning to write my Hadestown songs because they're all in standard tuning. And right. it felt like I was like putting on a corset, you know, <laughs> to write these songs. Like, okay, get some copy and like put on the standard tuning and try to make it happen. That freedom comes through in the t- in the songs, you know, all the songs on the Bonnie Light Horseman record, right? That it just that the openness in the in the chords is is heard, but also just like the free flow of the voices and the songs. I mean, I also you know heard you say it was like drawing from like this deep well, you know, these songs that are hundreds and hundreds of years old, just tapping into them. And I think that that just it it comes through in the sound in mm. such like a like a breath. Oh, that's cool. And it's a good reminder. I mean, because the truth is, and I don't want to say, it's not like I didn't have moments of like great joy and inspiration working on Hades Sound and times when it was easy. You know, there were those times. I think the great reminder of doing folk music is that at some level, it's all interpretation. Do you know what I mean? We don't come up with these things from scratch. We're standing on the backs of all these thousands and thousands of songs and stories that have come before us. And like, it's a matter of tapping in. And not thinking that you have to come up with it from scratch. And I don't know if it feels that way, you know, visually as well, but there's only so many notes in the scale. Like there's only so many images you can actually draw on. So it's nice to just tap into that and then try to access it from other angles if you're, you know, writing a different different kind of project. Thanks so much for listening, and a reminder to go back and catch up on all of our episodes from this season. Whether you love these bands and artists, or you're new to them, there are some amazing stories of art, music, and creative collaborations unfolding that are ready for you to listen to. So be sure to subscribe to Making Ways wherever you're listening right now, and there's so much more in store. I'll see you soon.